Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcast. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods? Fickle butt. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Welcome to the Full Slate Sunday Scaries podcast brought to you by our good friends at Indeed, Bet Online, and Monkey Knife Fight. I'm your co host, Cody Darwick, joined by my brother in person, Tyler Darwick. Tyler. Doing well. Um, how are you doing, Cody? That was a very tough loss you just had with the Packers as your lock of the week. It was, it was pretty uh, silent down here. I didn't want to say anything because you seemed like you were about to uh, jump off a cliff. So, doing okay? That's a little dramatic, um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm hanging in there. Thank you very much for checking in. I do I do appreciate that. It was a brutal beat. The Packers were cruising up 28-14 at the half. I tweeted it out, and it was like, did the Colts turn into the 2019 49ers at halftime? Because they absolutely dominated the Packers in the second half. Time of possession, running the ball down their throat. Bizarre ending in this game in terms of the last two minutes. Colts are driving to essentially either kick a field goal to go up six 
clocks or more or less run the clock out, and they have five holding penalties on that last possession. Uh, the Packers somehow get the ball back. Um, I was a little iffy on Matt LaFleur, just not accepting one of the holding penalties. I would have made a first and 30. Ultimately, they get a stop. The Colts have a couple of fishy calls in terms of passing and give Rodgers too much time. They're an incredible deep ball to uh, Valdez-Scantling. He ends up becoming the GOAT in uh, in overtime just because he fumbles and sets up the Colts. Colts in uh, field goal position, but a brutal beat for the Packers. I mean, I knew this one was playing with fire because the line was definitely a trap and it was looking incredible, but then the Packers just do these things where they come out so flat and like I said, it was like the Colts turned into a different team in the second half. They, they all of a sudden could run the ball. They hadn't been able to run the ball all season. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I mean, this Packers team is so up and down. I've said all year they're kind of soft and kind of like a front-runner team when things are going well and Rodgers is smiling, he's having fun, and things get a little challenging. He has that mopey look on his face that I know you hate. So mopey. And in the first half, they were incredible. They scored three straight touchdowns to end the half. Like you said, they're up 28-14. to 14. Looked like they were going to roll, and then I had no idea what happened at halftime. The defense couldn't get a stop. The offense couldn't really do they anything. They were on the field. <laughs> yeah, they were barely on the field. They went three and out twice. Then they fumbled the kickoff, and at that point, they were down three, and you know, playing from behind is such a bizarre game, like two completely different games in the first half and the second half. And even as dominant as the Colts were in the second half, Packers had a chance to win the game at the end of regulation, and the Colts mismanaged that with, I don't understand how you could keep holding it. It makes no sense for a team that supposedly has a good offensive line. I always hear how good the Colts' offensive line is. They mess that up. They throw the ball, give Aaron Rodgers plenty of time. He's a great drive. They tie going into overtime. <laughs> and going into overtime, it felt like then all the momentum had swung to the Packers, and they were going to roll. And then uh, Valdez Scanlon fumbles and sets up the Colts for you know chip shot field goal. Yeah, and and I'm definitely playing Monday morning quarterback right now, but on the Packers' last drive, they get they complete the deep ball, they call the timeout, and then they connect on a couple quick Devontae Adams completions, and then they they uh, they spike the ball a couple times on first down when I think it was just overly conservative with the play calling. You might as well take the three shots to try and score a touchdown, go for the jugular. You know the Colts are kind of in shock at that point. They've been dominant, controlled the entire half. Now all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers is doing Aaron Rodgers things. And I think you kind of give them like you give them three play three plays to score a touchdown instead of two. They did it a couple times. Um and again, hindsight twenty twenty, but I I I hated that. Um and, I mean, give the Colts credit. I still – I don't know how good they are, uh, but at the end of the day, they're 7-3. and three. And the way they played in the second half, I mean, it was it was absolutely dominant. So if they can have a run game, which I think we haven't seen it all year, but if they can do that, they ran for 140 yards in this game, um, they are a different team. Because Phil Rivers, I mean, give him credit. He threw the one pick. He had a couple other ones that were ducks that easily could have been picked off, but – he did enough offensively to give them a chance to win. If you had told me the Packers scored 31 points in India, I'd feel very confident that they won this game. Well, yeah, and I had the under. I didn't think it would be a shootout yeah. game. Oh, you you lost this game pick, too. Yeah, I did oh, take the Colts uh, before the game to win and took them <laughs> as well. I didn't tell you that. But oh, I was, I was oh. happy to see they came through at the end. But like you said, the first half, they couldn't run the ball at all. Um, they would run every time on first down, get stopped. And then it felt like at halftime – 
both teams maybe sat down together, hopefully socially distanced, and watched uh, the highlights. Watched the highlights from the NFC Championship game, and the Colts were like, "This is what we're going to do." And the Packers just couldn't stop it. It was so bizarre. Jonathan Taylor had a really nice second half, and like you said, if they could get this production from Philip Rivers, maybe this team had you know raises their ceiling in the uh, AFC. And Rivers got hurt, and then Jacoby Brissett was coming in. It was very bizarre. Like we didn't know if Rivers was going to be out the rest of the game. Um, so it was, it was a strange game. It was exciting. Um, so yeah, this was this was a tough loss for you. So what are you what are you now in our locks of the week? Uh, this is what week eleven. So five five and one. Okay. So yeah. What are we looking at overall record wise? I think. Yeah, I think you're ahead there. Okay, um, I was just checking. Yeah, we what did you do this morning, Tyler? Okay, so we weren't planning on starting with that lock of the week recap. So let's. No wait, I forget. What were you doing this morning? Sleeping. Okay. Uh, yeah, for the listeners, we golfed this morning. Tyler lost by I think it was six strokes, right, Tyler? Okay. Okay, we'll move on. We'll I'm move not on. using. He's getting nails. upset. He's getting upset. She's getting upset. He's getting upset. Do you need tissue? Okay. Oh, okay. What we're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, okay. Sunday scariest moment. We'll move on um, before Tyler throws a water bottle on my face. Um, what's your Sunday scariest moment, Tyler? So my Sunday scariest moment, I'm kind of related to you, but mostly, <laughs> mostly yeah, Roddy White and just people in general who were, you know, crapping on the Saints. I'm, I've never felt like I'm, I'm a Taysom Hill defender. Roddy White tweeted, Saints about to get whipped trying Taysom Hill at QB. We about to smack them. And I felt like I was taking on the role of the Saints fan defending them because for, for people to think that, the Falcons were, you know, the obvious pick because Taysom Hill starting a quarterback is wild. When have the Falcons ever been a reliable team or a reliable bet? So that's my Sunday reliable for, for all the people backing the Falcons just because Taysom Hill starting. And I don't know what Sean Payton's affinity has been with the guy, but the fact that they re-signed him to a huge contract in the offseason for a backup gives me confidence. He knows what he's doing. And if Breeze is out for a few games, which it looks like he will be, and maybe even more with what came out yesterday about his rib injury. Um, Taysom Hill, I think, gives you a better chance to win than Jameis because if you have Jameis in there, you can't be aggressive with him because we've seen that version of Jameis year in, year out, obviously at the 30-30 last year. Slanders disgusting. But Taysom Hill adds a different element with his run game. It, I don't think he's as good, but it reminds me of with what the 49ers did with Kaepernick when he came in with Alex Smith just because he adds a different element. Teams don't know how to defend it. If you have three to five stars with him in the regular season, I think that gives you a better chance to win than Jameis. Um, so that was my Sunday scariest moment for all the people, you know, slandering Sean Payton, uh, backing the Falcons. That made no sense to me. I mean, yeah, I definitely I like the Falcons in this one. I think the bigger story of this. Taysom Hill played well, 18-23, 233 passing yards. He ran for two touchdowns, which is obviously going to be a big piece of his game. But the Saints' defense continues their dominant streak. The Falcons are coming in off a bye. They got Ridley back, who was out with injury. And offensively, they were starting to play better granted, against worse competition, but they sacked uh, Matt Ryan eight times in this game. They picked him off twice. This is kind of more of what you expect to see from the Falcons in 2020, but I thought they would come in and at least be competitive under Raheem Morris. They're playing for the interim coach. They get that little bump there where he's trying to uh, win win the job outright, and they got steamrolled in this one. I mean, they, they got off to a decent start. They're up early, like 3 nothing, but after that, 
the Saints' run game is something to be wary of. It's kind of a three-headed monster if they do stick with Taysom Hill and he stays healthy of him, Kamara, and Latavius Murray. So they have a lot of playmakers on the outside, and I think the bigger thing is if their defense can continue to play this way, they do have a shot. I mean, the NFC is so wide open, but if the Saints are going to have a defense that's up there with the Bucks, um and the Rams, I, I like their shot just with all the playmakers they have. Yeah, and Sean Payton is such a creative offensive coach. I think he deserves criticism at times when Breeze is in and he brings in Hill and does all this weird stuff. But when, you know, Bridgewater went out last year, they didn't really miss a beat. With Hill, I don't think they'll miss a beat either. I think Payton's that good of an offensive coach. And like you said, the defense complements them so well. And Hill's added ability to run with Latavius and Kamara. Like, and you have Kamara. We were talking about this earlier. Kamara, you know, he didn't have any catches today, which is actually very weird. Yeah. Uh, Michael Thomas had a nice game, and so did Sanders. But Kamara out of the backfield, like, those are short, easy completions for Hill, you know, moving forward. So they have plenty of options. I don't think they'll be at such a loss without Breeze, you know, in the regular season. If it gets to the playoffs and he's still out, then obviously it changes. But for now, I think Hill gives you a better chance just because of the uniqueness of his game. Yeah, I mean, 11 broken ribs. I don't know how long exactly he's out, but I imagine he's not coming back anytime soon. Um, yeah, life. yeah I, don't, I don't know how you sleep. You can't do anything with broken ribs. You can't even laugh. No. How do you eat? I don't know. There's a lot of things that must be more difficult with 11 broken ribs. Um, but what was your Sunday scariest moment? Uh, my Sunday scariest moment is uh, it's staring at this line. I tweeted out Friday night. I was like, I think this Miami minus three and a half in Denver is probably the biggest rat line in, in the history and just had to test fade and take it. Miami was coming in very hot. Tua playing well. Defensively, they were playing well, and they kind of always had these kind of either special teams or defensive plays that either scored touchdown, just set them up in great field position in Denver. Drew Locke looking like the world is about to end. This was a classic. I think you said earlier, just Denver, 4 o'clock game. They win a game where you absolutely cross them off, um, and uh, they get the job done there. Um, it's three and a half, but ultimately in this one, two got benched, which I think if you were someone like myself, or I think this was the biggest public side. Actually, I saw earlier 90% of uh, either the money or the bets were on the Dolphins. Kind of bizarre that Tua got benched. Like at first, the the announcer said it was an ankle foot thing, but Brian Flores said he got benched for this week since due to performance. Uh, getting uh, starting next week, he's going to be the starter. So I don't I don't know. To me, that that was just kind of a weird move. I know he wasn't playing well. He got sacked six times, but. And once you turn it over, unless he's hurt, like I think you just you have to stick with him unless it's an absolute disaster. Um, and I mean they're down ten in the fourth quarter in Denver, like a notoriously hard place to play. So I, th- I thought that was odd. Yeah, like you said, I knew the line stunk, and I stayed away from it before the game. And then obviously once Miami went down, I put a little bit on them, and I, I just knew, like I, you know, like we said, a typical game in Denver. The one game a year they play well and maybe give people some hope, but I don't understand what Flores is doing there. And we've talked a lot about the Dolphins, and I think he's a really good coach, but once you give the keys over from Fitzpatrick, who is playing well, to Tua, it's to his team. And once he gets hurt and is in a spot, you know, to get injured, you have to stay with him. And in a he's the franchise <laughs> sixth overall or fifth overall. Like this isn't a guy you mess around with. And like, oh, you know, we took him in the fourth round. Like we're not sure on him. Like. He was the fifth overall pick, and, yeah, he wasn't playing well, but this was the first time he was really down, like, double digits in a game. Like, give him a chance to come back. Like, 
I don't like doing the flip-flopping because I think it could get weird with the team. Uh, you know, who's the quarterback? I just I didn't think it was a good move. Um, so we'll see what happens moving forward. I think yeah. like overthinking it way too much. And just kind of got to stick with Tua. And this was the guy you drafted in the first round. Like, give him a chance to come back. It wasn't like the team was playing great anyway. They had six sacks partially on the offensive line too. So I don't think it's all Tua. And this is third, fourth, fourth, fourth star. Yeah. Like, he has to go through these bumps. You can't, you know, protect him forever. Yeah, I, I, it's bizarre. Someone like Brian Flores, who we and just generally anyone who watches sports is beloved up to this point because he did a great job last year with the team. That's ex- like legitimately people thought would win zero games this year. They're in the playoff hunts probably prematurely, um, but a weird, weird move by him. But since we started out of the gate with you coming in guns blazing towards me about that Packers loss, we skipped over football um which for for listeners that was that was our scripted starting point um and an insane game um IU we're 20 and a half point underdogs in Columbus obviously the biggest game in forever uh for for IU football and especially for Tyler um but we we're down 35 to 7 and came storming back and had two possessions to potentially tie the game with under 4 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Michael Penix made a name for himself. We had LeBron James tweeting about IU football. I don't know what's happening this year. Yeah, it's a real 20. <laughs> LeBron James is tweeting uh shouting out Mike Penix, Tom Allen, the IU football team. It was a wild game and this was a classic college football game that just took so long. Felt like it took 8 hours. It was, it was an absolute grinds out type game, but IU had their chances, and in the past, you know, this is a moral victory, and I, I hate that term, and I've hated it for years of IU football, and there are no moral victories. I think there is I think there is a sign that the talent has raised, and they are getting closer to, you know, the top teams in the Big Ten, a team like Ohio State. They've obviously beat Penn State and Michigan already this year, so that's a good sign, but they had their chances in the first half. They had two picks of fields, didn't score any points on, I think, the first interception. They had a fourth and short. Ty Freifogel dropped a fourth down pass wide open. Like, very unlike him. He had an unreal game <laughs> otherwise. 218 yards and caught some tough passes. Three that touchdowns. was a huge mistake. And they're down 21 to 7, going in for potentially a touchdown right before the half. David Ellis fumbles. Ohio State picks it up, scores 28 to 7. So that was a 14 point swing. In the second half, we were down. 14, David Ellis drops a pass, the next play gets pick six. Like, IU had their chances, and they had the chance to win the game. Like Cody said, they had two possessions at the end of the game to tie and just couldn't really get anything going. Um, It was was frustrating because they had their chances, but it is a good sign that they didn't play their perfect perfect game, and they still had chances to win. In the past, they had to play a perfect game just to be in it with Ohio State. So the fact they did, and I think, is a good sign. Yeah, I agree. The other recent Ohio State close losses the past, say, five to seven years, or even any of these games on a big stage, like, this was the one that felt the most like, wow, we're actually, like, kind of trading blows with one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, it's been like, yeah, the craziest things have had to happen. With like Xander Diamond house one. Backup quarterback runs for like an 80-yard touchdown. Things like that happened to keep us in it. This didn't feel like a fluke, and they got after fields. I think we had five sacks. He, he threw, threw three, three picks, picks. changed his total from last year. So the defense, you look at the box score, they gave up 42 points, seven was on a pick six, um, 600 total yards, on the ground, but it felt like the defense played well in this game. They only gave up seven points to Ohio State's offense in the second half. 
So they kept them in it. They got pressure. And Ohio State is so lethal on offense. They played well enough to keep us in the game, which just looking at the box score, you'd say is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we turned the ball over four times, and we lost by seven points. So I think all in all, you said it, moral victories suck, but, like, this is the closest one. It was like, actually, you know what? Like, we did not play our A game. I'd say we probably played B plus, A minus, and Ohio State didn't play their A game either, but I think a lot of it was because of the defense actually making plays, making fields uncomfortable, rattling him, and we actually can tackle people for the first time in my decade of watching IU football, which is a nice uh, plus. Some of the offensive play calling I thought was frustrating. I want to call out. Uh, we rushed for negative one yards, and I think a lot of it was it seemed like rinse and repeat first down, HB drop the middle like every single time. Like Michael Penix is a great athlete. I realize we probably don't want him to run around like Lamar Jackson and potentially get hurt or something like that, but I think you need to tap into that a little more and open things up, especially when you're playing some of the caliber of Ohio State. Like kind of got you have to play all your cards. Yeah, even you don't you don't have to design runs for him, but just bootlegs, getting him out of the pocket I think helps and I use offensive line, held up for the most part, but there were a lot of times he was getting pressured, and you move him out of the pocket, that only opens up your offense more and the running game more. That's the biggest issue with this team right now. They can't get the offense or the run game going, which hurts a little bit, but, you know, they play Maryland next week. I don't know if they'll play the game with Maryland's COVID issues, but they could get by that, and then if they could win out the regular season games, they'll have a chance at a New Year's Six game, which is crazy. And the frustrating thing about the Big Ten with the divisions is, you know, the West has to play the East. It's not the top two teams. I would love Indiana to get another chance at Ohio State, but that's most likely not happening. Um, but, you know, when LeBron James is IU football, you know you've taken a step somewhere. Mm-hmm. And just a lot of people being, like, ret- retweeting uh, the Tom Allen speech in the locker room after the game saying, uh, I forget, Dan Wetzel, yeah, the Yahoo reporter saying, I'd, I'd recommend buying stock in this Indiana football program. I don't know. I mean, we just have, we have more than three football fans at this point, Tyler. Yeah, the band- so three diehards, but the bandwagon is is crowded. We we may have a wait list, I think, at this point. Bandwagon's getting crowded. You know, I liked it when we were kind of. Um, Are we too good now? Would yeah. you fire Tom Allen if we get worse? I like I liked it when we were more hipster. You know, not people knew about Penn us. State. And now it's getting too trendy. Um, but you know, I'll I'll take the team getting better. Like you said, Tom Allen's. Speech going around the guy from Yahoo saying that just helps with recruiting, honestly. And it seems like IU is like a class or two away from really getting on the map. So hopefully the momentum stays. Mike Penix, you know, you laughed when I said he could be a top two pick next year or not this upcoming draft, the 2022 draft. There was some buzz today on Twitter about him being a top two round pick uh, in this year's upcoming draft. I still think he needs more time and I hope he comes back because next year's team could be even better. Um, but I, I clearly wasn't crazy, but that's enough IU football talk. Um, yeah, I could go on for that's hours. Enough. That's enough. But uh, let's move on to some of the games we previewed on the Pick'em Pod. Um, the first one, which we were both right on, which is very unusual, um, the Seahawks minus three versus the Cardinals on Thursday night. <laughs> Seahawks won 28-21. to 21. Um, A good bounce-back game for Russell Wilson. Didn't turn it over, 197 yards. And they got the run game going by our guy, Carlos Hyde. 
Mm-hmm. Carlos El Guapo. Uh, yeah, I mean Seattle did do a good a good job. I think in this one bouncing back. Um, this game feels so long ago, <laughs> even though it's only on Thursday. I think after watching that IU game, it adds a little bit of a blur to it. But yeah, I mean Seattle Wilson played well. He, I think the biggest thing was he took care of the ball in this one. No interceptions out of him. Threw for two touchdowns. Kyler Murray made a bunch of big plays um, here, but. I don't don't know. At the end of the day, I think you kind of had a reversion towards the mean for this Arizona team that caught fire um, in the barrel, beating Seattle, beating the Bills, obviously on that Hail Mary, and it seemed like it it was just going to come to an end. I mean, they had this chance late in the game driving. I thought for sure they were going to score just because we had Seattle primetime. The game needed to get to that extra level of insanity, Um, but they ultimately made a stop, and I think uh, we'll take it. We'll take the cash on that ticket. Definitely, and if Seattle could get this run game going with Hyde and if uh, Chris Carson comes back next week, which it looks like it will, I think that makes them even more dangerous cause, just because, like we said on the pick and pod, they're relying way too much on Wilson. I think the last couple games he's starting to feel that. They don't make him have to throw it, you know, every play essentially, and they could keep their defense off the field and well-rested. That just only improves their defense. I mean, defense played well in this game, right? Only gave up 21 points, sacked Kyler three times. Arizona had only 57 rushing yards under th- or three yards per carry. So yeah. the defense could raise some level. They don't have to be amazing. They don't have to be last year's 49ers or the Bears from two years ago. They just have to be decent enough to keep, you know, Russ in the game and give the offense a chance, which I think that they always will have a shot with him. But good bounce-back game for Seattle, and I think, like you said, Arizona reverted to the mean. But let's move on to next game I want to talk about, um, the Ravens-Titans. You were on the right side of this one. Thank you. Titans won 30 to 24 in overtime, and I think it's fair to say there's there's is some concern. Uh, it's fair to have doubts about this Baltimore team at this point. Yeah, this. I mean, this was a, a really big game for both of these teams. Uh, Titans got off the. A roaring star, five and zero. They've struggled of late. We know the Ravens kind of been up and down, but they've lost uh, all their losses have come to good teams. But this this was a bad one for the for them, honestly. Like uh, they're up eight going into the fourth quarter, they end up losing. Um, and look at the stat sheet. I mean. It's just this Titans team, they just find ways to win. They go back to what's worked for them. Derrick Henry, 28 carries, 133 yards, a touchdown. Um, They get a big play out of A.J. Brown, kind of makes uh, something out of nothing um, and and scores a late touchdown there. Um, But I I just think with this Ravens team, it's just like there's something missing. I think they just need more weapons. I know Lamar has been the most accurate. Again, his completion percentage not great in this one, 17 to 29, uh, QBR of 40. Um, he ran the ball 13 times, but only for 51 yards, which I do think is notable. Like the Titans defense did get it together. There was a little bit of like weirdness in this game with uh, John Harbaugh and Mike Vrabel getting into it pregame. Um, and then after the game, Harbaugh not shaking Vrabel's hand. So clearly these teams don't like each other, which I think is fun since Titans ended their season last year. They had this big win in Baltimore this year. It's kind of two teams that are pretty similar, smash mouth offenses. Um, 
So I don't know if you're a Ravens fan. Like we know, we have we have some of our listeners: uh, Grebo, Max Fine, Adam Nussbaum, depending on the day. All mm-hmm. Ravens fans, and now they're staring down a undefeated Steelers team on Thursday Night Football for Thanksgiving. And if they're, I mean, right now the Raiders are up, but like the the playoffs. I don't know. They added the wild card spot, which kind of saves them. But it's not a given that team's a playoff team anymore. No, and this is a huge, obviously, tiebreaker scenario that could end up affecting it come week 16 with the Titans having this win over them. So it's huge. And like you said, there was the little altercation before the game and then after. And I think Vrabel said they did shake hands, which was weird. Um, so I like, like you said, I these teams don't like each other. Um, and like I talked about why I like the Ravens, and they were up 21-10 to 10 in this game. It felt like they had a chance to kind of put it away. Um, the run game just couldn't get going. They averaged under four yards a carry, and it felt like this was the team they could get going against. Tennessee, whose run defense has been terrible this year. The Colts tore them up last week on Thursday Night Football. They couldn't get it going for them. It's weird. There's something missing. Lamar said after the game, it looked like that team wanted it more than us. They were playing physical when we went up. I felt like we just took our foot off the gas. It's just like a weird, just like a weird comment from the guy that just won MVP. He said that a couple weeks ago. He said teams at the line know their play calls. Like there's some energy off, and I think you know coming off last year, the MVP, they had the great regular season. They lose surprisingly in the playoffs, and then over the offseason, expectations only build. They brought in a couple guys um, in free agency. Colin Cowherd said they're going to go 16 and 0. My guy, he was obviously wrong there. Um, we're not all perfect. We'll cut that. But uh, it felt like the expectations were just rising after a disappointing year, and they're. They're, like, pressing too hard at this point, and now it's starting to crater a little bit. So I don't know what's happening with them, um, but nice bounce back win for Tennessee. They did a fake punt, of course, and they converted it. I said that was going to happen on the pick pod. Um, and, they, you know, they came back from 11 down on the road in Baltimore, and I know there's no fans, but still to do impressive. that on the road is impressive. And this was a point last year when the Ravens would step on the other team's throat and just be able to run and drain the clock, and they couldn't do that. And Derrick Henry, I think I saw he only had 45 rushing yards through the first three quarters of this game. He ends with 133, has the game-winning touchdown. Just He's a bulldozer. He wore them down. Um, so this is a huge game moving forward. And like we said, this could this could knock the Ravens out potentially just the way the tiebreakers work. I, I just think you look at it with the way this rate, like maybe it's because people are starting to stop Lamar a little bit more with his feet than we saw last year, but like they just don't have the weapons on the outside. Mark Andrews had his, had a nice game, five catches, 96 yards and touchdown. They brought their next leading receiver is Dez, who they signed a couple of weeks ago. I was on their practice squad. He actually made a nice play at that towards the end of the game. Um, but Willie Sneed, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, who stinks. If anyone else draft him in fantasy, I own him in two leagues. No, nobody cares about that, but he absolutely stinks. And every week it's like, ooh, I mean, like, you just need one from him, and, and that's all you need. Um, and he never does it this year. So it's just a weird, weird thing. And I think it's probably, honestly, that's probably making Lamar force more passes because these guys don't get separation on the outside. I'm, I'm happy for Dez to be back. He's been out for, what, two, three years now. Yeah. So I'm happy that he's back in the fold and contributing. He had a nice play at the end of the regulation. But when you're relying on him and Willie Sneed, you're probably not in a good spot. Those guys, I mean, Dez at this point in his career and Willie Sneed throughout his whole career, that's like your fourth receiver. You're feeling pretty good. The fact that that's like the go-to guy, and you're getting nothing for Marquise Brown. It's the first-round pick last year. I mean, I don't think he's 
he, that just was a bad pick, and maybe it's partially on Lamar, but I just don't think he's a go-to guy they need when, you, you know. There's every other, almost all, all these other receivers have hit, the early guys. Yeah, but I'm just saying when they won the Super Bowl that year with Flacco, like they had uh, Anquan Bolden who could move the sticks. Like all the years New England's won with Brady, they had Edelman. They just need like that one guy who's like that go-to guy, whether it's a Bolden or a Julian Edelman. They just don't have that guy who can move the sticks, really, other than Andrew. So. I bet Anquan would still catch one over the middle when you needed him to. Yeah, he could still play, but um, how long have we been going? We've been going for 30 minutes so far, and we still haven't talked about my lock of the week. <laughs> yeah, it hit. <laughs> <laughs> All I heard this week was, oh, Mike Tomlin, 1-10 in 10 against the spread as a double-digit favorite on the road. You and all the other squares out there were like, oh, throwing that stat in my face. All I've said all along, trends are not your friends. Since we had our friend Dan on from Cleet Street, I've just only been with him. And you know, I, what, you know what it is your friend though? Jake Luton. Yeah, Luton. <laughs> Four picks. As uh, Cousin Sal said, Vladimir Luton. Um, he was terrible, and that's what I banked <laughs> on. And it came to fruition. He had four picks, was sacked twice, really came down to earth, 16-37. to 37. The Steelers' defense just, you know, really stomped on them today. And good win for them not to get caught up looking ahead uh, to the Thursday night game versus Baltimore. And now they're 10-0. I still don't. Still not like a full belief that sure. you know this team's ten and zero and they're the best team in the league. But the defense is legit, keeps them in any game. And Big Ben was solid. Um, Two sixty seven, forty six times, which is bizarre. Yeah, very weird. <laughs> Johnson had the game, and that's that's what makes this Pittsburgh team so dangerous. Is that every week it could be someone else uh, receiving wise. So that is what I think can help match them up against Kansas City if they end up playing in the playoffs. You know, it could be Deontay, it could be Chase Claypool, it could be Juju. James Washington, Ebron are solid also, so they have a ton of weapons that, you know, any week any of those guys could get off. So I cruised to an easy victory today, never really sweated it. Uh, Jacksonville did go up 3 nothing, was winning 3 nothing after the first. So I did feel like, okay, here we go with Pittsburgh, but it didn't matter. They got it right. You know, Tomlin had the quote early in the week about the MAC team. Uh, you know, we're not playing a MAC team, so I knew they would be focused, so... Seven three and one in our locks of the week and have a uh, two game lead over you. Yeah, congratulations. Um, so we're gonna take a quick break here and we'll be back after the Sunday night game, uh, recapping that and giving out our Grandpa Billy's bum of the week. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you could still be in on the action at Bet Online. 
BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You could get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Cody, and we are back. We just finished watching this Chiefs-Raiders game. Chiefs won 35-31, very entertaining Sunday night game. At this point, Patrick Mahomes is just a Madden cheat code. Yeah. That team, I wouldn't really want to play in the playoffs if I'm one of those top-seeded AFC teams. Definitely not, and if the season ended today, the Raiders have the seven seed. They have tiebreakers over the Ravens and the Dolphins, and this would be the first-round matchup. Chiefs not getting the bye this year as the two-seed, so we could see this matchup again, and I think everyone would be for that. Both games have been super exciting, and, you know, I was on the right side with Raiders plus seven. It got up to plus eight and a half before the game, um, and I also took the money line, and I was, you know, happy when Witten scored and they went ahead, but there's just so much time left. And it was a matter of, okay, just holding them to a field goal. And they got right down the field. I felt like the Raiders were playing with, like, seven guys on defense. Mahomes receivers were just so open. And they showed a stat, like, at the end of the fourth quarter, things before the Raiders' go-ahead drive, that Mahomes hadn't completed a pass over 20 yards. And then, of course, the game-winning touchdown pass to Kelsey's 22 yards. So they could beat you in multiple ways. They didn't really take a lot of deep shots tonight, only five in total, I think. So it just shows how dangerous they are. And it feels like Andy Reid, the enemy, they're just like calling up plays for fun, like these bootlegs and stuff. It's it's pretty insane um, what they're able to do. So it was, it was a fun game. I was glad they covered the Raiders, but it would have been nice to get that uh, money line hit as well to end the week. Yeah, so we're both. Go first, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so my grandpa Billy's bum of the week, someone we talked about last week, just continues to struggle. And the team as a whole, just Carson Wentz and the Eagles, they lost again today, 22-17 to to Cleveland. Final score isn't really indicative of how close that game was or the Eagles putting up anything offensively. They're pretty terrible all day. Wentz threw two touchdowns, two picks, and now he's up to 14 touchdowns, 14 picks on the season. Played 10 games so far, six of them he's thrown two picks in. Not encouraging. Feels like that 2017 MVP season was a fluke. Um, you know, Frank Reich left, Kevin Stefanski left. I think they might have been carrying the water a little more than Doug Peterson was at this point. He continues to struggle. He sacked five times. It feels like whenever he plays bad, there's an excuse. You could say, you know, they don't have weapons. The weather today stunk. But when you play this bad consistently, it's probably partially new. And the NFC stinks, but it's actually getting pretty entertaining. The Eagles lost today. They still lead the division at 3-6-1, but Washington won, Dallas won. Now the other three teams are 3-7, so none of these teams are very good. But at least it'll be exciting down the stretch as he gets out of there. Yeah, I mean, everything's kind of been gravy for that Eagles team since they won the Super Bowl. Wentz, I don't know, every game you get a couple head-scratching throws out of him. But the NFC matchups, those are starting to heat up a bit. Hopefully our boy Alex Smith can come through because actually that game Thursday versus the Cowboys is shaping up to be a pretty big one with NFC's ramifications. But 
Um, my grandpa Billy's bum the week here the first time. So we had some audio issues the first time we recorded this segment. I called them the Charlotte Bobcats. We'll revise that. It's actually Charlotte Hornets um, because they gave Gordon Hayward just a massive contract, four years, thirty mil a year. Um, and you just look at this roster; they're paying Hayward thirty million, Nick Batum twenty-seven, Terry Rozier eighteen point nine, our boy Cody Zeller fifteen point four, and just like this team is stuck in purgatory, somewhere between seventh seed in the East at best, and likelihood eight, nine, maybe ten, or even worse if things go south quickly. Um, a lot of a lot of stock in uh, Lamelo Ball. See if he can actually become a star there, but I get the smaller market teams grabbing the the this superstar trying to when they can. And Hayward's definitely not a superstar. Like I get it with De'Aaron Fox, they needed to pay him. They drafted him. They hit on it. You have to pay up. But someone like this is not. It's just not going to work. Like this team, they had Marvin Williams, they had Bismack Biombo. They've just been giving out bad contracts left and right. Um, so I don't know. MJ's got to he's got to get it together here. Yeah, giving a 30-year-old who's had a lot of injuries a max contract at this point just makes no sense. They're nowhere near contending in the East. Maybe they could get into the playoffs next year, but is that like really the spot you want to be in? It's a terrible contract. In three years with the Celtics, he missed 111 regular season games, 31 playoff games. You know, when he came over to the Celtics, he was – He's coming off like a great run in Utah and was really like peaking as a player, but has the terrible injuries first game with Boston, just kind of been downhill since he got hurt in the regular season before the shutdown. And then in Orlando, he got hurt during the playoffs. Like, I just can't stay healthy at this point. So I don't understand the deal. Um, there's really no reports of any other teams being close to matching that. The Knicks were really the only other team thought of and, in the era where it seems like the salary cap is going to get a little more restricted with, you know, the COVID issues going on in the league. Like, this is the guy you're maxing out and building your team around. Like, you figure you just want the mellow ball shooting the ball like 25 times a game. Um, at least some excitement. So, I don't get it. They need a last dance part two, just criticizing MJ's uh, moves as owner. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they need to bring back Adam Morrison to write the ship offensively. Um, but I think that wraps it up for our Week 11 Sunday Scaries Pod. We'll be back this week previewing the Thanksgiving slate and everything else going on in Week 12.